This morning we were looking at the story of Daniel in the lion's den and we had a, a video, an animated cartoon that we used in the service. But for the purposes of this recording, as it's going out online, I'm going to read it uh, as, as it's presented in, in the Bible. So I'm going to be reading from Daniel uh, and going to be reading the whole of chapter 6, which says that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore King Darius signed the document and an injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the, to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done, I have done no harm.
Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be till the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wonderful. The story with credits as well. Uh, so that is the, the story that we're going to be uh, picking up on this morning. Daniel in the lion's den. We've got a craft activity now for the children uh, at the back. Steph's uh, got something prepared for you to be doing. Going to be making uh, some lions. Uh, and we've got the memory verse that they had on the video there. It says about how God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. So we've got that up the back. If uh, children would like to do that, if parents or grandparents are able to help with that, would be great. For everyone else, while the children are making their way back, if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Daniel 6. Uh, and it's in Daniel 6 that we find this story, where Daniel is in the lion's den. Just as you're finding your way there, uh, I mentioned at, at the start, before we saw the video, that today is the last in our summer series, this summer series that we've called God's Stories. And the thinking behind the series is that we wanted to look at some of these amazing Old Testament stories. The kind of stories that are taught often in Sunday school that we find in children's Bibles and in children's storybooks but potentially could get neglected in the context of what we do on a Sunday morning. So we wanted to take some time to, to look back at some of these stories to really unpack uh, what, what they say to us and what we can learn from them, but also understanding that uh, these are uh, stories in and of themselves are individual stories, but they're part of a much bigger story. They're kind of snapshots of a bigger story, part of God's story. This is my third sermon in the series and in the two that I've done previously, what I've tended to focus on and what's really stood out to me through those stories is uh, kind of aspects and of, um, of God's nature and God's character that we've been looking at. We saw that um, through uh, in, in Noah and the story of the walls of Jericho coming down. We were looking at what does this teach us about God, about his nature and about his character. But today I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle because rather than looking at an aspect of God's character, what I felt stood out to me most strongly was an aspect of Daniel's character instead. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And really, kind of the overriding theme, uh, the overriding thing that really stood out to me that we're going to look at this morning is this, is that Daniel is a man who lived up to his name. Daniel is a man who lived up to his name. The question that should be going through your mind at this point is, what does his name mean? If you say he lived up to his name, what's his name mean? The name Daniel means God is my judge. It's a Hebrew name. When you break it down, it means God is my judge. So what I'm saying here is that Daniel, he lived up to his name, his name meaning God is my judge. So, but what do I mean by that? John Piper, he did, uh, a, he did um, a sermon looking at prayer and he was drawing on this story of Daniel and he said that Daniel, he lived up to his name in a most remarkable way. He lived a life that shouted the truth that God is my judge and not man. 
God is my judge, not the king of Babylon, not the king of Persia. His life said this, it said to God, I will give an account for how I live. And that's the way that Daniel lived his life, with that understanding. It's God that I'm living for. God's the one who's going to judge me, not anyone else. I know that one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for my life. And because I know that is true, I'm going to live my life on that basis and on that foundation. And Daniel's life just shouts this truth throughout, it, throughout his life. There's no mistaking it. There's no escaping from that. Now this morning, we focused on one particular aspect of Daniel's story. We've been looking at, uh, we've already seen Daniel in the lion's den, but Daniel's story begins a lot earlier than that. When we come to this point in Daniel's life, this is 70, we actually first read of him 70 years earlier. When we first read of Daniel, he's a young man, he's a youth, and he, along with some of his friends, they're taken into captivity into Babylon. The Babylonians, who are under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, they captured Jerusalem and they've taken a load of captives to take back with them. And they took a load of these young guys uh, and they were to live in, in the king's palace and they were set for three years uh, to study and to learn in, learning of literature, learning of language. Uh, they were to, to be in, in and around kind of the wise men, the influential people uh, of Babylon and to, to learn, really learn about culture, language and literature. And the idea was that these young men would be set apart to be advisors to the king. They were to be like the, the wise men in, under that nation. So Daniel and his friends, they're in this position. We know specifically of, of three, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Uh, and they're, they're put to live in the king's palace. And almost instantly in this story, we see Daniel, he, takes, he and his friends, they take a stand to say that actually we're going to live for God. We're going to live our lives uh, fully aware that they are in view of God. We want to live lives that are pleasing to him. Because for these young men who were living in the king's palace, they were, they were set a diet of the, pretty much the king's finest of everything. The finest meats, the finest wines. Nothing was kind of to be held back in that sense. But Daniel and his friends, they said, actually, no, we're going to take a stand. Right at the start of this new situation that they find themselves, this new environment in which they find themselves. And instead of, uh, they ask for water and for vegetables. That's what they want. They say, we don't want this meat, we don't want this wine. Give us vegetables, give us water. And we're going to trust that God will uh, nourish us enough so that we are in just as good a condition as these other young men who have got the finest of everything that the king will offer. God honours them in that. And, in, and indeed, they are actually in better condition than any of the other young men that time. But this is a huge statement that Daniel and his friends have made right at the very outset of their time in captivity. Because in doing so, they make a statement that they are not dependent on the king for anything. They're not dependent on the king for food. They're not dependent on the king indeed for their very lives. They are utterly dependent on God. So this statement they make right at the start is this. God is my judge, not man. Remember, that's his name. Daniel's name is God is my judge. God gives Daniel a real understanding for visions and dreams. That's kind of where, where he excels. He's a prophet, someone who hears from God and then makes known what God has revealed to him, a messenger from God, and that's what Daniel does. And he becomes well-known. Throughout his life, he becomes well-known for being able to interpret dreams, particularly for the kings that he served under, that ruled over to him. But in some situations, not only to interpret the dreams, but also to be able to tell the king what the dream was itself, almost for the king to be able to put his trust 
in that what he was hearing was the right thing. And again, right at the very start of Daniel's journey, right at the very start of his life in Babylon, we see uh, another situation where just this character and attitude of Daniel comes through. He's called uh, in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream. As I say, he wants the dream interpreted, but he also asked Daniel to tell him what the dream was. He's like, tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. And Daniel goes away and he seeks after God and he asks God for the interpretation to reveal uh, what the dream was. And as God reveals the dream to Daniel, it's revealed to him and Daniel responds in prayer to God. He says this in Daniel 2, it says that Daniel answered, praying to God, and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. The reason why I wanted to read those verses is this. It's because, again, it's Daniel's character and attitude. Because what we've just read, this prayer, this, um, this dream has been revealed to Daniel. And he turns it back in praise to God. And he essentially says this. He recognises that God sets up kings. God removes kings. Kings will come and kings will go. But God and God's name and God's name alone is to be blessed forever and ever. And that is just right at the very centre of who Daniel is. He realises the fleeting nature of, of power and authority in an earthly sense. And he's fixed his eyes on the power and authority of God above all else. And Daniel, in telling this truth, he finds favour with the king and he's promoted uh, He's promoted as ruler over Babylon and overseer over all of the other wise men. So through his faithfulness, God elevates him to this position. When Nebuchadnezzar's reign ends, Daniel is called to interpret dreams of the new king as well, of Belshazzar. But Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and Belshazzar's dreams, they spoke of kingdoms and empires falling, They spoke of how kings and nations had fallen so far from the will of God that they were under God's judgment. I want you to imagine that you were Daniel and you had heard so clearly these messages from God and you've got to stand before the very person who stands condemned before God, judged. You've got this king in front of you, his kingdom, God has said, this kingdom, uh, this empire is going to fall. This is the most powerful guy in the whole of, of uh, in the whole of the nation and you've got to stand before him and you've got to tell him that God's judgment is on him and that his empire will fall but Daniel does it with such confidence he doesn't water anything down he keeps God at the very centre through it all he gives God glory he doesn't hold back he doesn't, uh, doesn't pull any punches he tells it exactly as he is as it is because his eyes aren't fixed on the king who's in front of him but on the God who's given him the message himself he spoke out in obedience to God with fearlessness, but with praise. Again, God is my judge, not man. It's the way that Daniel lived. Piper, who mentioned earlier, he says this, he says that Daniel lived a life that shouted the truth. God is my judge. He says, in other words, his life was centered on God. It was built on God, and his way of looking at the world was drenched with God. I love, what a wonderful way of putting it, I love that. 
his way of looking at the world was just drenched with God, just absolutely saturated, ruined for anyone or anything else but God. And this truth about Daniel was well known. People, people knew about him. People knew about his dedication and his commitment to God. And this, when I was preparing for this morning, this question came to my mind. And it's a question I want to pose to each of us this morning. And the question is this. What does my lifestyle say about who I live for? Daniel's life spoke very clearly about who he lived for. What does my lifestyle say about who I live for? Is it evident that my life is centred on God? Or does it point to someone or to something else? It's just something that came to my mind at this point. I just wanted to put it out there. See, Daniel's devotion to God was so well known, it was the exact thing that the high officials used against him in order to find a complaint against, uh, to find a complaint against him, something to get him in trouble. So in Daniel 6, which is where I asked you to go a while ago now, so hopefully we're there. So Daniel 6, picking up from verse 4. So we've got this situation where the, these high officials are wanting to, to, to um, find some complaint about Daniel. They're jealous about him. They don't like the, the position he's got and the favour that he's got with the king. And verse 4, it says this, it says that the high officials and the satraps, those uh, uh, overseers of individual provinces, um, so the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel, he was, remember, he was a guy who was living in exile away from his home. He was living in a foreign land, under foreign rule. This wasn't the, the life that he'd been born into. But he wasn't rebellious. He didn't separate himself from the Babylonians. He didn't separate himself from their way of life. He was fully integrated to the extent that he actually had oversight uh, and authority and responsibility over whole provinces but he was blameless he was absolutely blameless according to their laws so he was in this environment that he'd been uh, brought into captivity but he was he obeyed their laws he was integrated into society there was nothing that these guys who were jealous of him could find against him they, there was no complaint that they could take that would stand up because the way he lived his life of diligence and obedience a man of high character good attitude there was nothing they could find against him he found favour with kings but here's the thing he never compromised in his devotion to God again and those who were jealous of him they knew this and this is the area of his life that they attacked they thought if we can't find any way to, of, uh, any form of complaint about him in terms of uh, observing the laws of the land and observing the laws of the country then surely we've got to find a way where the law of the land conflicts with the law of God because we know that's where we're going to catch Daniel out, because we know exactly what type of a man he is. So they got Darius, the king, uh, of the, the Medo-Persian king at this time. But D Darius, who, he thought very well of Daniel. At this point in the story, he's about to promote Daniel to, to a position where he would be like second only to the king. He was going to promote him to a point where Daniel had authority over all of the other officials. Uh, so he would be second only to the king. And so these guys who were jealous of Daniel, they got Darius and they manipulated him 
into passing a law that for 30 days no one could pray to any god or any man except to Darius himself. So he would, Darius would act as a form of a mediator between the people and God. In his mind, it probably would have made sense politically as a way of uniting all the nations and all the kind of the nations that they had uh, captured and invaded. That actually, if they saw him as the mediator, it would kind of bring, uh, bring the nation together. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, actually, that's a pretty smart move. 30 days, okay, if anyone wants to pray, they pray to the king, act as their mediator. Anyone who was caught praying to anyone apart from the king would be thrown into the den of lions. And this law was set in place. The king signed it himself. Then in Daniel 6, again, if we jump to verse 10, it says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? They got him. They knew it would work because they knew what kind of a man Daniel was. And they got him and they found their cause for complaint. This is just absolutely astounding. When Daniel prays, he's not ignorant or unaware of the law that's just been passed. It's not as if when they bring him before the king, he can say, actually, I had no idea. Sorry, I didn't know that was the law. I was just doing what I normally do. We're told when Daniel knew that the law had been signed, the first thing he went and did, he went to his room and he prayed to to God, fully aware of the consequences of what his actions would bring upon him. It wasn't just some silly mistake. It was a really deliberate action on his part. See, such is his devotion to God. There is no way that he would break this lifelong habit of worship and prayer. That was the guy he was. There was nothing that would stop him doing that. The law, it wasn't a permanent law. It had... It was final. It had an end. It was for 30 days. You think, okay, if you knew that law was there, maybe, maybe I'll just hold off praying for 30 days and then I'll avoid any trouble. Or, you know, Daniel prayed in a fairly public way. It was in his window. People would have been able to see him praying. Maybe he could have just hidden, hidden away somewhere, still prayed, but done it in, in secret. There's no reason why these guys would have known. But he doesn't do that. He prayed as he had always prayed. As he had done for years, he carried on in his faithfulness to God. Daniel was a busy man. He had a position of great power, great influence, yet at the very heart of every day was this pattern of of a disciplined prayer life. Three times a day he would go into his room and he would pray. He would have been a busy guy. See, Daniel would not, sorry, he was totally immersed in the secular world in which he lived, but he lived his life by prayer. He would not cease praying, even though that's what the law said. You either stop praying or you pray to the king. He said, I'm not doing either of those. There's no way you're going to stop me praying. There's no way you're going to get me praying to anyone other than my God. And he was utterly defiant of the law that had been set in place. He would give glory to no one else but God. Daniel would give glory to no one else but God. Remember, this pattern of his life, God is my judge, not man. John Piper again. He says, 
When we say that God is my judge, what it means is that what God thinks and what God does matters more than what anybody else in the world thinks or does. If, and then in terms of prayer, he says, if what God thinks matters most, then you consult him most. If what God, if what God does matters most, then you ask him to act first. In other words, you live your life by prayer. It's a reflection of where your heart is. It's a reflection of what your life is built upon. I think with stories, when we hear or see stories that we become familiar with, if we've heard them before, often when we re-hear them, we approach them already knowing the outcome. So we can kind of hear stuff in a little bit of a different way or think about stuff differently because we know what the outcome would be. But I want us just for a moment to imagine yourself as a bystander to everything that's going on in this story. They're watching this story unfold. They don't know what, they don't really know what the outcome's going to be. What they know for sure is that Daniel has disobeyed this law. The penalty for that, um, for that disobedience was that anyone who did that would be thrown into the den of lions. No one, no one came out of that den alive. So for, at this point, everyone will be thinking, this is it. This is it. Daniel's bought this on himself. It's right. That's the penalty. That's... That's the punishment. No one's sure what the outcome is going to be. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to explain why I think this. I don't think that Daniel would have known for sure that God would deliver him safely out of the den at that point. But I don't think that that's... I don't think really that matters in the sense as... Um, yeah, let me, let me just explain what I mean. So in Daniel 3... We see a story uh, a bit earlier on in the story where Daniel's three friends, they're told there's a law passed uh, across the land. Nebuchadnezzar set a golden idol up. When trumpets play and when music plays, at certain times of the day, everyone needs to go and bow down to this idol. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego flat refuse. They say, we're not going to serve anyone else but our God. Sounds similar to the pattern that Daniel lives by. We're not going to serve anyone but God. The punishment for anyone not obeying that law is that they get thrown in a furnace, they get burnt, burnt alive. And in this story, um, and God just miraculously uh, keeps them safe and protects them and brings them, brings them out of that safely. Before they're about to be put into the furnace, they say this. It says that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Uh, if this be so, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't do that, we know he's able to, but even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I think Daniel lived with that same attitude. I, I think he would have utterly, utterly believed that God was able to protect him and to deliver him out of the lion's den. But even if not, there is no way you're going to get me serving uh, any other gods but the God that I serve and I think that's in, in a sense kind of at this point with, without knowing that God was going to, deli- to, to deliver him Daniel's making that point whether God delivers me or not I know he can but even if he doesn't that's still not going to stop me from serving God above anyone else and by the grace of God Daniel is kept safe God delivers him out of the lion's den there's no way of describing this apart from this was a miraculous act of God of God's protection over him. And as God delivers Daniel, Darius, the Medo-Persian king, the most powerful man 
in the nations. He declares to the nations the truth that Daniel has been living out his entire life. He says this, he says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. Remember, this is the king who is saying this. Uh, he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. The king is declaring the truth that Daniel lived his life by. That's what Daniel expressed every day of his life. And here we've got this situation where through Daniel's obedience and through God working this situation, you've got the king, the most powerful man, declaring to the nations, actually this God that Daniel serves, he's the one where your praise should be directed. See, Daniel's obedience and devotion to God is a declaration to the world about the God that he served. At New Day this year, uh, youth conference that we, we take our young people to, every year we have new songs, and my favourite song this year was called Serve No Other Gods. I think it's called that by a guy named Jake Isaac. And the, 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 uh, the chorus of it is this. I just want to read it to you. It says, I'll serve no other God but you. Yahweh, is another name for God, Yahweh, only you. Have the glory, you can have it all. I'll serve no other God. It's my favourite song of the year, uh, of the conference, because it, for me it was just a real heart cry of devotion to God. It's saying, no one or nothing else. I don't want anyone or anything else. Whatever comes my way, whatever might tempt me, whatever might try and convince me that that's where I should put my hope and my trust and my satisfaction, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of the glory, that's all for you. I'm going to serve no one else. And there were 6,000 young people just all singing this song of declaration of commitment to God in that, in that way. Young people who were possibly a similar age as Daniel when he was taken into Babylon. And this was the standard Daniel lived with. You see, I think this song, that song that I just read some of, some of it to you, that song I think could have been written about Daniel, to be honest. I think this is what Daniel's life shouted. He said, I will serve no other God but Yahweh. Kings come and kings go, but it is only God that I will serve. Yahweh, you can have all the glory. I could be second in the kingdom. I could be second only to the king. I could have the power, the position, the glory, but not at the expense of your glory. Yahweh, you can have it all. I'll serve no other God. Daniel knew that one day he would give an account to God for all he'd done. He knew that. It's true of Daniel, that's true of all of us. Romans 14, verse 10 to 12 says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's true. Daniel knew that. That's why he lived his life. God is my judge. God is my judge, not man. I know one day I'm going to stand before him, therefore I'm going to live a life that is pleasing to him, that is full of worship and praise to him and to no one else. And Daniel is a wonderful example to us, an absolutely wonderful example to us, because his whole life was centred on God. I just want to touch on something quite briefly before we finish. Hebrews 11 uh, is a passage of scripture that um, just speaks of real people that lived their life by faith. And it lists people throughout history that have trusted in God, that God has uh, done miraculous things for and miraculous things through. 
And in Hebrews 11:32, so we're quite a way through. It's already gone through a lot of men and women throughout history that have, have trusted in God and have lived by faith. And it says this, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And if we just jump a few verses down to chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so because we've got these examples to us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When it spoke of those who, um, in the list of people who were kind of these heroes of the faith, speaks of those who stopped, by faith they stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire. Most commentators, it's widely believed that it would be referring to, to Daniel and to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as well. And the way that God brought them through their situations because of the faith that they, or through the faith that they demonstrated in him. So it's saying, actually, we've got these examples. Daniel and his friends, they're examples to us. They're people that we should look to for inspiration and example as we live and, and walk out our Christian life. I've never really been involved in running to any level, uh, but I used to swim. Uh, I used to swim uh, for Faversham for quite a few years. Um, now, if I was swimming socially or if I was on the beach, I generally wear fairly long, baggy shorts. Uh, but when we were swimming competitively, you have to wear these tiny little Speedo-type trucks. There's nothing particularly good about those in that sense. Uh, but there's a reason why. You wouldn't go into a race wearing long, baggy shorts because they, they hinder you. They slow you down. They restrict you. They draw you back. And we've just had the Olympics. I don't know if anyone watched much of the swimming in the Olympics. But when the people come out before the race, they've got, they seem to wear loads of clothes. I don't know what they're doing. They're probably trying to keep warm. They've got these massive tracksuits and T-shirts and shoes and all sorts of stuff. But this is going to sound really obvious. But before they take to the race, they take everything off that would hinder them. There's no way they would dive into the pool wearing all of that stuff. Because it would just be a hindrance to the race. They strip off everything that will be a hindrance. Anything that would slow them down. Anything that would cause them a disadvantage. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this. He's saying, we're to lay aside everything that will hinder us in our race. If you were doing a sports race competitively, you, you know that. You're like, actually, I'm going to get rid of everything that would slow me down or hinder me. But we need to think like that about our walk with God as well. That's what the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Throw off everything that will hinder you in your race. You've got to put off all sin. Don't stand for any of it. Don't allow any compromise. And you know, for Daniel, we're saying Daniel's this example to us. He lived God's way. He didn't seek him as an afterthought or some sort of consultant just to get some advice from him. He sought God above all else. He would not allow anything to ensnare him, nothing to entangle him. He would not allow any compromise to the point where he knew that he was going to be thrown in the den of lions. He's like, I'm not going to have anything that will hinder me 
in my walk with God. I'm not going to have anything of sin associated in my life to the extent that I'm willing to die. If that's what it takes, I'm willing to die. But I'm not going to have any compromise in my life. He would not entertain anything that was not of God. So we're to throw off anything that hinders us. We're also to run with perseverance. It means we're to press on in all circumstances, through all seasons of life. Whether things are going well and things just seem to be going smooth and nice. Or whether we're going through really difficult times of trial and suffering. We're to press on in perseverance. Because this race, this life we live, it is not a sprint. To some of us, it may seem more like an obstacle course at times. That might be, when we're talking about race, you might think, actually, it's more like an obstacle course, just the stuff that's come up in my life and the things I've had to go through. But again, we look to Daniel as an example. When Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, he's probably around somewhere the age of 85 years old. He's in a position, second only, he's got a position, second only to the king within his grasp. He's got that. That's what the king's willing to give him. All he had to do was not pray for 30 days. And then everything that the king wanted to give him would have been his. 30 days in the context of 85 years. I wonder if this was going through Daniel's life. He could have lived out the rest of his life in prosperity and in prestige. But instead, he puts his life on the line. He says, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to stop for 30 days. Even though 30 days in 85 years is quite a short period of time. He's like, I'm not going to stop for 30 days. He's like, I'm not even going to stop for a morning. I'm going to get straight back and I'm going to get praying. Such was his devotion to God. And that was a pattern of his life. And again, God is my judge, not man. His whole life, Daniel lived consistently, persistently and faithfully. And that's the life that we're to live as well. Can we have the band up? Uh, We're going to come back into a time of worship in just a moment. I just want to, while they're readying themselves, and preparing their vocal cords... I want to finish with this. I want to say that in this race, there is something that we have that Daniel didn't. Hebrews 12 verse 2. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We get to run this race looking at Jesus. And Jesus is seated at the, at, um, at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus who is the initiator and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus who has secured our salvation. Jesus who endured the shame of the cross. Who took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. Jesus who endured all of that because such is his joy and his delight in us. That he endured it all. For you and for me. Do you know that? The Bible speaks of us as being the joy that was set before Jesus. For us to have a relationship with Jesus, the joy of that was what kind of um, motivated him to endure everything that he went to. really want you to understand that's what Jesus thinks of you. You are his joy to the extent that he died for you. You see, we are, all of us, one day are going to stand before God. We're going to have to give an account for our lives. But when we stand before God to give an account for our lives, we stand in the assurance that Jesus will present us as holy and blameless before him. 
as we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we've heard. So we run this race and we look to people like Daniel as our examples and our inspiration. But we also do it with our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who gave everything. So that when we stand before God on that day of judgment, we're going we're to do so as those who are holy and blameless because of his love for us. Does that inspire you to worship? Should we stand? I'm going to hand back to Pete and the team. Let's come and worship this wonderful God. This wonderful God that we serve. A strong stream of ground for the preach this morning is just